You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 102. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we're going to talk about our crisis investing seminars that we just uh, finished off. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, two individual stocks in the healthcare segment. We're going to juxtapose one with the other. And Aaron's going to give some comments on the oil and gas sector, primarily uh, to do with the price of oil. Now, uh, guys, I'd like to welcome my co-hosts again, uh, Aaron Dunn and Brendan. How are you doing, Brendan, if I say your name? <laughs> That's okay. I'm doing well, though. I'm doing well. Yeah, he's only been working with us for six months, so we're still, uh, we're still figuring that out. It's actually right? almost a year, but <laughs> I don't know what's worse, me mispronouncing his name or you not knowing how long. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's flown by so fast. Yeah, it it's has, true. It has. I'm used when to it. When you're having fun, right? Good, yeah. yeah. No, things are good. Uh, we just finished, of course, our... our online DIY webinars um, to replace our in-person webinars that we had to cancel of course due to the uh, due to the COVID situation uh, I thought they I thought they went tremendously well we've not we've not uh, we've not put out this content via webinar in the past this was uh, an opportunity to still get the content out to people even though we weren't able to see them face to face and I thought that it worked out really well we we still got the same information out there. We took a lot of questions. I think, what was it, the first night we had something like 80 questions, 75, 80 questions, so we were there. Yeah, you're right. Literally 80 questions, yeah. took about an hour and 20 minutes after, after the two after, hours. Which yeah, we're happy after to do. Hours, I mean, like yeah. I said, we could we could, we could, could go all night long if we had to, but um, yeah. yeah, 80 was good, and then the, the other nights we, we had a full night of questions as well. So personally, I'd like to do it again. I'd like to come up with... with even improved content. I think the content was very relevant to the current situation. We were really trying yeah. to address, you know, a lot of the risks and opportunities in the current market and how investors should position themselves and some very specific strategies for deploying capital. Um, and as well, of course, specific companies that people could look at today. So our five stock starter portfolio, but I, I'm always looking to improve the content. So anybody who's taken yeah. part or wants to take part in a webinar in the future, has any ideas um, regarding what they would like to see in future webinars from Keystone, uh, we'd love to hear that and we'd love to implement We'd love to implement some good ideas. And since you are looking forward to doing it again, I'm happy to announce that we can do that. We're going to do our Crisis Investing Seminar 2.0 uh, in the next several weeks. Uh, we're going to have some new content there. We're going to look at our U.S. cash rich report, which we're just uh, likely publishing in the next week. Um, potentially look at a Canadian dividend all-star report. We're going to look at how the COVID crisis, uh, we're going to put it versus the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Look at the relative valuations there because we keep getting that question 
are we at the same levels in terms of valuations that, you know, where we saw uh, screaming buys, table pounding buys that we found at that point? Um, are we at those levels? So we're going to look at those relative valuations and see where we are in terms of a down cycle. Um, we're going to look at some of the potentially look at uh, oil, uh, travel, tourism, some of the significant negatives uh, that COVID has had on those segments, and maybe look at some potential positives that uh, uh, in terms of uh, not positives in terms of COVID, but positives in terms of some change that is being seen in the healthcare segment and in the technology, the re remote work type technologies out there that are benefiting from this behavioral change that you're seeing uh, for individuals and, and where we can potentially position ourselves uh, to benefit long term. Uh, from the changes that we're seeing in the economy. So our crisis investing seminars 2.0, uh, look for announcement on those over the next uh, several weeks. Looking forward to that. Yes, I know it should be good. Now, now let's, uh, I mean, the, these seg the seminars that we just did, I have to say they were, like Aaron said, they were so well attended uh, and the questions were great. Um, and I think that one thing that we are trying to do right now uh, since COVID-19, we have hosted 20 individual chat sessions with our clients. Uh, we usually do them for an hour. All of these have basically went to an hour and 15 or an hour and a half. Uh, so staying in constant contact with our clients at least twice a week, providing these webinars, three, three hour plus uh, webinars where we have interactive questions with clients and potential new clients. I think that's one of the things that we can do now and Keystone really uh, thrives doing is uh, keep keeping in contact with our clients and through times when there is significant uncertainty. So we continue to do that and that's one thing that we will continue and I promise we'll continue to do going forward. So let's get into more of the show right now. We're going to look at two companies in the healthcare uh, segment. Uh, juxtapose one with the other. We're going to start off. Brennan's going to uh, put some notes. He's put some notes together on a company that has done very well during the crisis period. It's called Sono Nanotech Inc. Symbol S-O-N-A on the CSE. Brennan, I'll let you take that one. Yes. So an interesting name that uh, came across our radar recently. Um, so Sona is currently trading at a price of around $2.16, and it has a market cap of around $116 million. Uh, so Sona Nanotech, it listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange in September of 2018, and it's in the life sciences industry. So its primary objective is to develop and produce its own lateral flow tests utilizing Sona's gold nanotechnology, which is supposed to increase performance and reduce the time to market for these tests. Um, so the company right now is trying to bring a COVID-19 testing kit to market that can reduce the wait time for test results down to minutes. Um, and right now they are working with some uh, pretty big names trying to uh, bring this to market, uh, including like GE Healthcare Life Sciences. But anyways, so the stock has performed very well uh, since COVID hit. Um, with the share price starting its ascent in mid to late February from 20 cents, with it now up over 900% and up 230% uh, in the past month alone. 
So what's driving the stock here? Uh, the primary force, of course, is just the fact that the company is coming out with a COVID testing kit, or it's trying to come out with uh, an advanced testing kit. Um, so more investor enthusiasm has also been spurred after Sona was awarded a $4.1 million grant from NGen uh, for rapid development and launch of its COVID-19 test kit. And this $4.1 million was a part of Trudeau's $2 billion COVID funding to fight the virus. So digging a little bit deeper into the company and actually looking at their financials, uh, they do not have any revenue at all. Uh, and they actually stated that actual manufacturing of Sona's COVID-19 rapid response antigen test is not expected to commence until uh, until firm orders with deposits have been secured. Uh, and Sona will provide further updates as warranted. Looking at the company's uh, net loss, uh, they... For the most recent quarter, they had a net loss of 329000 or uh, a loss of one cent per share. Uh, and the company also has net debt of over 400000 and an $800,000 shareholder deficiency, which occurs when a company has been unable to produce profit for uh, multiple periods. So uh, now that I've given you guys a little bit of an update or, or a briefing on this company, rather than you know giving a conclusion on my thoughts, I wanted to kind of open it up to Ryan and Aaron and uh, yeah, just to juxtap juxtapose. I, I don't even know if I can say that word, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, the yeah. I mean, and, and it really comes down to when you look at a business right the, like this. Um, you know, it's 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 a strategy that we use when investing. Uh, now there there is. First of all, there's many investors they're trying to look for, and we're getting these questions all the time now, areas which they can profit from the new reality that COVID-19 has placed uh, on the globe, generally speaking. There are those who are trying to find uh, winners, say, in the work-from-home segments such as Zoom or Microsoft, and those who are looking for winners in healthcare, and for those who are looking to directly benefit from combating COVID-19, uh, that would be potentially vaccines or, you know, test kits in the case of Sono. Uh, now, there's nothing, we have nothing against Sono, the business itself, the management team. Uh, but in terms of looking at a company like this or a concept type business as a potential investment, we come at our evaluation for this business uh, from a phil philosophical perspective. We we just do not see it wise to start creating your 15 to 25 stock portfolio composed of businesses with no cash flow or earnings. And that's what Sono is at this point. It has no revenues. Uh, so of course, no earnings. It's good on the business for moving fast to be part of the potential diagnostic kit solution for COVID-19. But at this stage, the market has put a $125 million valuation on a company, again, at concept stage. Now, Sono is part, as Brennan said, of a consortium of test diagnostic test developers. Uh, we have no idea if the test kits will be used for how long, in what volumes, or what the revenue or the profitability profile of its products or services are. So it's very high risk, and yet the market now is valued at 125 million in the short term. Um, you know, it, it just, for me, it is just too high risk to put in, and for Keystone itself, to start your portfolio or build your portfolio with businesses, or even have portfolio uh, com companies around the edges of your portfolio that have just no revenues, no earnings, it will put your portfolio at high risk long-term. The more companies like this, with this profile that you put in your portfolio over the long-term, the more money you will lose. 
and and we've seen that for the past 20 years i can juxtapose this business i can make a contrast to the type of business that we would like to buy uh, look at a business like viamed symbol vmd on the tsx it is a profitable home health care solution provider now, COVID-19 may expedite the move to home health care to alleviate the pressures on the healthcare system, and we've seen that already. This company has actually increased their revenue guidance, and we expect them to have a more profitable quarter than they did at this time last year. Uh, so it is a business that is already making money. We've recommended it uh, for the past three years for clients, starting at the $3.85 range. Uh, it was profitable and growing ahead of COVID-19 and will likely benefit from the changes that have come during the crisis following COVID-19. Uh, we would much rather employ a strategy of buying these type of businesses rather than buying concepts. For every one or two concept stocks that work out, we can point out a hundred of them that over the long term lose you money. Those are not good odds we would stick to the far more successful long-term strategy of building your portfolio with good profitable businesses trading at reasonable prices. It's very simple that way. Any other comments, guys? I, I think you, you, you summed it up pretty well. One thing I'm going to say, and this is something that I see a lot when I'm looking at these uh, small small development stage biotech companies or technology companies. I mean, you start talking about nanotechnology, um, really highly technical, complex subjects, right? You really have to ask yourself as an investor, how well positioned are you to really assess the future viability of that technology if you don't even understand it? I mean, at a very basic level, you know, any great investor is going to tell you, you know, don't invest in something that you don't understand. If you don't understand, if you don't, if you don't, if it's not simple enough that you understand how it works, just don't don't invest in it. And um, when you're looking at some of these technology companies, if you don't understand what they're doing, you need some type of evidence to know that it works beyond just that you know they got a grant or that the promoter says that it works or that they're putting out you know nice positive press releases. And one way you can do that, one way you can assess the success of a technology or product is see how well it sells in its respective market. If people who are actually experts in that area are buying it, people in the industry, industry experts, they're buying it and you can see that the company is growing its revenues, it's driving dollars to the bottom line, then they're validating a business model. They're actually proving that their technology, the pro product and their business model works. Now, doesn't mean that there aren't other risks that can derail that, but that's something you can start with. That's something that you can start to research. Uh, if you're just talking about a company, I mean, they've never made a sale, then you really have to understand the technology. And to do that in something, when you're talking nanotech and and, and testing for, for infectious diseases, you, you pretty much have to be an expert in the field. And even then, I think that there's if you're an expert, you're going to have trouble really assessing the future commercial feasibility. So, yeah, I just just parroting a lot of what you're saying here, Ryan. No revenue, no profit, no investment from us in any in any circumstance. And it's not that you know maybe this company will go on to develop their product and be an absolutely amazing success story. Um, that's possible, but it's extremely unlikely. More than likely, it's 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 going to be unsuccessful. And yeah. while you may miss you know, one or two good opportunities in your lifetime that actually do go on to, to turn into great businesses, starting off at pre-revenue, 
companies, um, you know, you're going to, the vast majority of companies you invest in with that mindset, with that investing mindset are going to perform horribly over time. So, you know, stick with companies that have validated their business model and you avoid so much risk, so much unnecessary risk that ends up getting investors in trouble. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Um, like even in my analysis, like when I was actually looking, like I mean, this company Sona has been on, it's been listed on the CSE since September of 2018. So you know, I really was wanting to like look into the technology to see like what they had even before COVID, because realistically, like this stock has been sideways trading at 20 cents, uh, you know, for a year. Uh, until all of a sudden COVID hit. Uh, so realistically, this stock has been doing nothing until this pandemic hit. So if this pandemic didn't hit, I mean, they'd probably still be sideways trading. So now you bring up that great point. Now, what if all of a sudden uh, this company isn't able to get its tests out uh, or whatnot? You know, so this stock has went from 20 cents to $2. Now, if nothing happens, you know, if all of a sudden there's a vaccine that comes out, if this stock goes right back down to 20 cents, you're probably not going to get your investment dollars uh, back out of it. You know, it's just probably going to sideways trade at 20 cents uh, f for, you know, who, who knows how long, who knows how long. Um, but again, it's just that risk of a stock going back down to, you know, uh, very low levels and doing nothing, you know, in your portfolio where, uh, as Ryan said, you know, Viamed, great building business. It might, you know, have a little bit of an acceleration in growth uh, from COVID. Uh, but again, it's just got that foundation of a, of a beautiful business. And that's what you need to look for, for, for an, an investment. Yeah. And it's, it's hard enough to value a business uh, effectively when there are sales, when there are cash flow, when there are revenue and predicting that going forward. When there's none, uh, it's next to impossible. And, and if you bring it down to evaluating the technology, often, we are not qualified to do that, and most investors are not. And it's not always the best technology that wins the day and becomes commercialized. Um, you know, I'll date myself, but if you go back to Veda, Beta versus VHS and tape, like Beta was supposedly the better technology, but VHS won the day. Uh, there's other factors at play. So predicting where you know the technology or which technology is going to win the day, and as far as that, you know, when you have the the earnings and revenue uh, that's like that doesn't make a good investment unto itself and I, another healthcare company we were asked in our chat this past week uh, is Hamilton Thorne which you know I've met with management I think they're you know it's a good business well run uh, one that continues to be profitable in the healthcare segment like a Viamed or a Sono or Sono is kind of in that segment um, it has cash flow but, um, you know, on a relative valuation to Viamed, which has done tremendously well uh, this year, uh, it's about 20 times EV to EBITDA, where Viamed is still 10 times. So, you know, you have revenue and earnings and in both of these companies, but on a relative basis, uh, Viamed has better organic growth trading at better valuations. So we were asked the question between those two, what would you go with? And that's how you, you know, take a step down the line. Um, you know, you have three businesses we're talking about here, Sono, Ham Hamilton, Thorne, and Viamed. Well, how do we get it down to Viamed as the company that we have, you know, bought out of those businesses, for example? Well, it's the one that uh, is making money, has a net cash position, and uh, is trading at relative valuations that are lower despite higher growth uh, than both of the businesses. I mean, Sono share price has grown well, but uh, there is zero growth in the business in terms of revenue. So it's, it's impossible to value. 
So hopefully that makes sense looking at the healthcare sector, some smaller companies there. Uh, we're going to move on to look at the uh, energy or oil segment. Uh, Aaron, you're going to start on that segment for us. Sure, I'll make a couple comments here. Obviously, anybody who's been watching the price of oil um, has been seeing an extremely wild ride. So a barrel of West Texas Intermediate started the year at over $60 U.S. per barrel. Per barrel. Today trades at about $12.50, so a drop of 80% since the start of the year. And Western Canadian Select, the price that Canadian producers get, is trading today for about $8 per barrel. Uh, but at one point uh, over the last week, the price of oil was actually negative, of oil futures rather, was actually negative. Um, and this has never happened in history before, to my knowledge, not ever. So we've gotten a lot of questions from people such as how can a commodity like oil actually have a negative price? Um, and how can you profit from this as an investor? So first of all, just talking about what negative oil is, I mean, it, the meaning of it is exactly as it sounds. Um, you're essentially, as the seller, you're paying the buyer to take it off your hands. Um, and it seems really strange that something like that can have a negative value. But, you know, if you think about it, if you have too much of something and you can't afford to store it, then you are going to pay somebody to take it off your hands. So it is a possibility and it is something that we can that we can see again. But really what, what happens is is this comes down to a is this comes down to a storage issue. Um, with the with the with the COVID crisis and the global shutdown, essentially the demand for oil completely dropped off. And um, typically what you would see is you would see OPEC and other other leading oil producers reduce production to to account for that. But there's a bit of a war between Russia and Saudi Arabia, so production wasn't cut. So you had a massive decline in demand for oil. You had um, way too much supply for oil. Um, and for a lot of producers, it's just not easy to just turn off the taps. The cost of turning off the taps, if you're expecting to start the well back up again down the road, is just too high. So you're producing a lot of oil, and there's nowhere to store it, and there's essentially um, nowhere to uh, to consume it or nobody who's looking to consume it. Um, and that's essentially where you got for a very brief period of time um, negative oil prices on, on negative prices on oil features because you're still producing oil, you're still supplying it, um, but you essentially the cost of storing it was greater than the value of the oil itself. So this is something we could we can certainly see again. But the question that people also have is what, um, how, how can you as an investor profit from a negative oil price? And, you know, the only way that you can really profit, because these are really quick situations, they change very quickly. The only way that you can really profit, to my knowledge, is if you have storage capacity solutions that you can offer to the sector. I mean, it's not like you can just show up to the gas station and be paid to fill up your gas tank. It, it, does, it doesn't work like that. This is really comes down to a storage issue. So if you have, you know, uh, a massive storage facility that you could quickly fill up with oil in the event that um, that prices go negative again, um, and you could pick that oil um, up uh, at at a, at a distribution hub, then 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 you could profit from it. But otherwise, it's not just a situation where you can, you know, essentially um, make a trade and and make a big profit. 
Now, there are, are situations you can invest in tanker companies, potentially. You can invest in companies that have oil storage solutions. But in reality, you know, that's not a long-term situation necessarily. Uh, negative oil price happens, comes and goes very, very quickly. But this leads me really into a discussion more on investing in the oil and gas sector in general, because we've also been getting a lot of questions on Canadian producers, uh, mid-sized, large-cap, small-cap producers in Western Canada, and whether or not with the major decline in prices that they've seen since the start of the year, whether or not they're, they're, there's value. Um, with At Keystone, we're, we're never like to make just overall calls on a sector necessarily. We're always looking at individual companies. But this is one where I could definitely feel safe in saying I would be very hesitant to be an investor in the Western Canadian oil patch right now. Now, there is the possibility, of course, um, that prices can can pop up just because they're so low right now. Uh, but that's not the way that Keystone invests. We're looking for companies that can actually generate value over time, over the next several years, and not something that's just going to potentially pop up on a quick speculative change in, in, in investor sentiment. But we've always been pretty cautious on the Western Canadian oil patch because there's so much stacked against these companies in particular. You have a ton of political baggage. Um, you know, the, the, the sector is always in the political crosshairs um, of, of, you know, politicians, environmental groups. So it's really hard to get big projects done in Western Canada. As well, transportation infrastructure is a major problem. So Canadian producers aren't getting the same price as American or international producers. That's a big issue as well. Um, and now you have uh, a major a major disruption to, to oil prices. So there's just so many things working against these these producers that um, we would be cautious and we wouldn't we wouldn't jump into the Canadian oil patch right now. And I'll just use a couple of companies as an example. So I'll look at a company like Crescent Point Energy. And this is a business, this is a, a mid-sized Canadian producer in Western Canada that we've been looking at for about 10 years. And it's been for a lot of that time, a very highly touted company in the Western Canadian oil patch, Crescent Point. But it's really done nothing over that period, um, but go down for the most part. I mean, there's been some short periods where it's where it's kind of flattened out, but it's really, it's really lost investors a ton of money over this period of time. And what they've been doing as they've been paying out dividends and having to invest in their properties is they've been increasing their debt. So there's an ex here's an example of a company about 2.5 billion in debt. It's right now about an 800 million market cap company. Um, their operating costs, I believe, are about $12 per barrel Canadian. Um, plus, you have other expenses on top of that. So they're not making money at current oil prices, in, in my in my view. I don't know like what they have hedged for this year, but if you're if you're looking um, at the current price compared to what their operating costs are. They're not making any money, but they still have debt to service. And I think that that's, that's a common theme amongst mid-size and smaller cap and even some larger cap Canadian producers right now. So another company that I, that I can talk about would be, uh, would be Canadian Natural Resources, one of the bigger companies in Western Canada, possibly the biggest producer. And this is a company now, it has about 21, 22 billion in debt, about a $24 billion market cap. So once again, it has a lot of debt to service, yet it's not going to make a lot of money in the current environment. So these companies really need to see an uptick, a big move upwards in oil prices and sustained um, to make money over the next couple of years. And if they don't see that, then there's going to be 
major, major pain ahead for these companies. So for us, we're not betting on movements in the price of oil. We want to see companies that are finding ways to be successful right now or, 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 or are able to adapt their business model for a changing environment. And oil producers, they can't do that, particularly in Western Canada. So that's, uh, that's my rant. Uh, as I said, a lot of people have asked us about investing in oil stocks producers right now. If you do decide to do that, I would say look, make, be certain you're looking for companies with strong balance sheets, low debt, preferably net cash, um, and ideally that have exposure outside of Canada's border, borders and, and access to international uh, oil markets and prices um, and avoid companies that are just locked into the Western Canadian sedimentary basin um, and have high debt. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the businesses that we want to invest in, you're looking for a great business. So, you know, investors, businesses that we have invested in over the past 10 years, you look back at their five and 10 year charts, like the Algonquin powers, the Brookfield infrastructures, the Eng houses, the, the Boyds of the world. They have tremendous five and 10 year charts, growth uh, over those periods consistently. Uh, and you look at Crescent Point, which Aaron pointed out um, in the energy sector. You look back six years ago, it was trading at $47. 10 years ago, it was in the 30 to 40 range. It trades at $1.54 today. And the reason we use Crescent Point... Now, the energy sector, we have generally avoided. We have had one energy producer recommended in that segment in the past 10 years, and it was a light, sweet, crude producer out of Colombia. So completely avoided the Western Canadian sedimentary basin. Crescent Point, like I said, six years ago, $47. Today, it's $1.54. Uh, we've seen it recommended on BNN countless times over that period. It has done nothing but destroy capital over that period. Uh, and there's many charts you can look at uh, that are similar to this. I mean, Crescent Point, it's not just COVID-19 and the, the oil price collapse that is done in this company. I mean, at the start of the year, it was $5.95 in that range. Uh, like I said, six years ago, $47. Without this crisis, it would have been a massive destruction of capital in this business. If you keep buying businesses that are debt-heavy, and the company was not growing at all, and it's debt heavy, not growing. Uh, the, it's a recipe for disaster in your portfolio over the long term, whether you hit a crisis or a supply shock in the segment or, or a demand shock or anything like that. And uh, you know, we'd rather focus on good, solid cash producing businesses that aren't beholden, beholden to an underlying commodity. And that's what you get when you're invested in these companies. Now, of course, the markets always look forward. So, you know, now in the next 10 years, are you going to have great, uh, uh, great performance from these type of companies? Well, you know, we do use history as a guide too. And, you know, these type of, you could have a one year price increase for the price of oil and they do well, but, uh, and, and the businesses look solid, but then when they've reached a gain in your portfolio, you don't even know when to sell them because it's hard to value that business. Everything can be going right, management can be doing everything right, and it can look like it's a buy, but then the commodity price can turn against it and the company gets absolutely decimated in terms of cash flow and the share price goes down. Just not the type of businesses that we wanna uh, have in our portfolio over the long term. There's certainly some other segments that we'd look at that aren't debt heavy. 
uh, in our cash rich report, which is coming up in our Canadian cash rich report, there is a couple of energy related stocks that do have cash rich balance sheets. But in terms of cash flow in the near term, it's going to get worse year over year before it gets better. So you may speculate on what's going to happen in the future, but we do know that in the near term, uh, these balance sheets and these uh, financial statements are going to look worse rather than better. We are looking for companies that have better balance sheets in the near term, better cash flow statements in the near term rather than uh, the opposite. I think that does it for this week. Any further comments from you guys? I think that was good. Good. Okay, well, we'd like to encourage you to look for that news. Keep your questions or news on our Crisis Investing 2.0 seminars upcoming. Keep your questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segments, our Ask Us Anything segments as well. And as always, I'd like to wish you, everybody out there, stay safe and profitable investing. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.